chapter number 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. And we'll get here to the Bible here in just a moment. We start a new series last Sunday morning, My God Is, looking at the attributes of God. And we'll see. I remember what last week's was. My God Is. What did we talk about last Sunday? Holy. Wow. Some of you remembered. I was going to be sad if no one remembered it. And how can you forget the holy we looked last week at Isaiah, and Isaiah, it was kind of a tough time in his life. The king Uzziah died, and when the, in the year the king Uzziah died, what does the Bible tell us? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And may I just tell you and remind you again today, what we need today is to see the Lord high and lifted up. That's what we need today. We serve a holy God, and when, uh, when Isaiah focused on the majesty of God, remember it led to his misery. Whoa, I'm unclean, I shouldn't be here, which led to mercy, which led to God calling him and him answering God's call. The holiness of God demands a response from God's people. This morning, we're going to look at another attribute of God. We're going to look at his power this morning, his omnipotence. I, um, there's a Bible college that I teach at. I'm not teaching there this year, but I remember several years ago, I teach on the doctrine of God. I'd go through his attributes. And the college student, 19 years old, young man raised his hand. And he's like, what does omnipotent mean? So every time I see omnipotent, I always think of omnipotent. And so I got to catch myself so I don't say omnipotent because it just cracks me up that day he said that. But for some reason, that's always stuck. Omnipotent is what we're looking at today. Several years ago, there was a 747 aircraft. It was flying, and it was halfway across the Atlantic when the captain announced, ladies and gentlemen, we've lost one of our engines. But we can, make it, we can reach London with the three we have left. Unfortunately, it's going to take an extra hour. Well, about an hour later, the captain made another announcement. Sorry, but we've lost another engine. No need to worry because we can still make it on two. However, this will make us two hours late. A short while later, the passenger heard the captain's voice again. Guess what, folks? We've lost our third engine, but rest assured, we can fly with only one, but we'll now arrive in London three hours late. At this point, one passenger became furious and shouted out, For Pete's sake, if we lose another engine, we'll be up here all night. And that's not quite what would happen if you lose that fourth engine. But like a plane losing power, many of us, are running on one engine as well today. While we desire power in our lives, we might be losing some altitude. I want you to look at our text this morning, and then in a few minutes I will give you the, I'll give you the background behind the text, and we're going to see some powerful things this morning. Jeremiah 32, verse number 17. The Bible says, Ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. For there is nothing too hard for thee. Now, very interesting. Ten verses later, same chapter. Look at down ten verses. Verse number, we'll go to verse 26. It says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So you have a statement made in verse 17. You have a question asked in verse 27. Interesting thing is in verse 17, Jeremiah is stating the fact that God is nothing too hard for In 10 short verses in a short amount of time, God has to remind Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? We all know that God's all-powerful. We do. But there's a difference between knowing and believing when the tough times come. And a few short verses, and I'll explain it all to you in just a little bit so you can see what was going on in Jeremiah's life. He knew it, but he didn't completely believe it. The Lord had to come to him and ask him about that. 
Over the next several weeks as we dive into the next Sunday for our anniversary Sunday, I'm not sure where I'm going yet. I've been praying about it. We might stick and just keep here. We might do a special Sunday and go off of that. But as we dive into who God is, there's a, I asked, I've never done this before in our church. I always know what God, I, I pray and the Lord lays on my heart and I'm positive what God wants me to preach, a certain subject or going on a topic. And for this, for some reason this time, there were two different series that the Lord laid on my heart to preach on his, the attributes of God or to preach on God meant it for good and do a study through Joseph. But I could not figure out which one. So I did something I've never done before. I sent out a group text to our church. I'm like, which one do you need more? Overwhelmingly, this is the one that our church family answered. I think with everything that's going on around us in our world, sometimes we just need to be reminded about who God is. These are not, when we talk about these things about God, this is not, and this is doctrine. This is more deep stuff. It's not light stuff. I read a quote last week, and I, I'm going to, I got to do more chewing on it, but listen to this quote. Give your children big truths they will grow into rather than light explanations they'll grow out of. I'm going to read that one more time. I still got to do some more chewing on that. But give your children big truths they will grow into rather than light explanations they'll grow out of. And when it comes to God, you're going to get the deep truth. And I hope it's something that you'll be able to take and apply to life today, but that it will grow with you as you grow in the Lord and as we continue on. We look today at the omnipotence of God. When we look at God and several of his attributes, a lot of them are hard for us to comprehend. They're kind of, even, the Bible does its best for us to describe who God is, but I want you to understand something, you will never fully comprehend who God is, because we can't. We cannot fully fathom who God is, because he's so much greater than what we are. But I love the fact that he gives us his book so that we can get to know him as best as humanly possible we can. I want to remind you, in the Word of God, God's given us everything He wants us to know about Him in His Word. And if something's not there, it must not have been important. This is what's important for us. So we dive in, we're going to dive in and look at these attributes. And this is the first one of the omni-attributes. Later on, we'll look at how He's omnipresent, meaning everywhere at one time. We'll look at His omniscience and how He's all-knowing. But this morning, we're going to look at his, uh, his omnipotence here. And, but you've got to understand something. We have a hard time grasping his omnipotence and him being all-powerful because that's not us. We're not powerful. At times, we think we are. Or, you know, 20, 25, you think I can lift all the weights and do all these things. I'm all, you're, none of us are all-powerful. We're weak. And isn't it interesting to note that when God really can work and be strong in our lives is when we're weak and not when we're strong? Man, it would be nice if God could work great when I was strong, but this is the thing, God can work all the time. The problem is when we are strong, we think we don't need him. And when we're weak, we know we need him. And we got to be so careful of that. So this morning we're going to take some time talking about the omnipotence of God. The word omnipotent comes from Latin. It refers to the fact that God's power is infinite and unlimited, and guess what? He never loses an engine. This attribute could be defined in the Bible when the Bible says God Almighty. 364 times in the Bible, Almighty is used to talk about our God. Job asked a question, Job 40, verse number 2, or God, God, um, God's question to Job in Job 40, verse 2. Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Psalm 62, 11 tells us, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Psalm 115, verse number 3 tells us, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. God can do anything. God is powerful this morning. With power, you think about this, he has all the resources and all the ability to work his will in every circumstance 
in the universe. I love how A.W. Towser puts it, God possesses what no creature can, an incomprehensible plentitude of power, a potency that is absolute. When, and think about this, God exercises his power, he does it effortlessly. Let there be light. And there was light. It takes God just as much effort to make the universe as it does to make a butterfly. That's how powerful our God is this morning. Listen to how, what Isaiah said in Isaiah 44, verse 24, and he captured the truth that God made the world, and he makes what's in the womb. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. He has all power over all things, all the time, in all ways. I'll repeat that for you. He has all power over all things, at all times, and in all ways. God's power is greater than anything he ever made. We think about it. My definition that I would give is this. God has both the authority and the ability to accomplish all he intends to. We're going to talk about all the things that God can do, but I want to give you real minute, for a minute, there are a few things the Bible tells us that God cannot do. That God can't do things? There are a few things that God can't do. Say, how could God not do something? Well, let's look at the list. I'll give them to you. You can write them in your notes there. First of all, he can't deny himself. He cannot deny himself. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2, verse number 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Even if you don't believe, he's still faithful because he cannot deny himself. Number two, he cannot lie. Aren't you thankful to have a God today that cannot lie? Man, we all in this room, we can lie. And some people are good at lying, and some people are very bad at lying, but we can't lie. God cannot lie. The Bible tells us in Titus 1, verse number 2, in hope of eternal life, which God hath, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Do you know why we can have hope today? Because God doesn't lie. And isn't it reassuring to know that if he says something in this book, it's true? Because he cannot lie. Number three. He cannot tempt others. And you should put there, he cannot tempt others with evil. Trials come, trials and temptation, two totally different things. We've been here on Sunday nights. I talked through James chapter number one. He doesn't tempt us with evil. The Bible tells us, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. He cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. He cannot tempt others. Next, he cannot change his basic nature. So what do you mean by that? The Bible tells us in Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And, you know, we look at verses like that, and we look, well, the Bible tells us that God repented of the evil, that he, or God repented of Saul being king, right? God repented of making man, or that you say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. What did I tell you last week? The Bible never contradicts itself. If there's a misunderstanding in the reading, it's always me, never the book. The book is always right. Brian's always the one that needs to learn a little bit better. That's what it comes down to. Always trust the book. Don't trust your brain. Don't always trust the preacher either. Always trust the book. Trust the book. Now, I'll just give you a little thought for a second. God's not a man. But the Bible does tell us that God can measure the sky with the span of his hand, right? In the book of Isaiah. He's not a man. Does God have a hand? He's a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth, God doesn't have a hand because he's a spirit. But what's the point of that? God uses human illustrations to help us understand him better. So the gist of it is, God's really big. You know, he can measure the spin or put the waters in the hollow of his hand. That means he's big. He's, I can't even put a drop of water in my hand without running. He's big. He's beyond big. He's everywhere. 
when the Bible uses the fact that God, God does not repent. But a word like that, turning from, helps us understand what God was, what's going on there. It's a human illustration, but you got to understand something, God's not human. God's not a man. Jesus was man, right? And God together. But God, when the Bible says here that he shouldn't, he shouldn't repent, but then the Bible says he repents, that's helping us understand and put into context what God was doing there. So you got to remember, though the Bible gives us some human illustrations of things about God, God is so much greater than that. He's, in, he's indescribable. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But the Bible gives us, and God gives us a way to know him better. And I'm so glad he does. I'm glad he just doesn't say, you know what, you're never going to know me. You're never going to be like me, so just figure it out on your own. No, he gives us a wonderful book so we can know more about him. So we can look at his power and see who he is. But he cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. He cannot tempt others. He cannot change his basic nature. He cannot become greater than he already is. Why? Because there's no one like him. The Bible tells us, Jeremiah 10, 6, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Next, number six, he cannot share his glory with another. So why can't he share his glory? Because no one deserves his glory. There's no, that's why there's, why should there be no graven images? Because, because there's no God like our God. Bible tells us in um, Jeremiah 10, verse number six, for as, or actually, no, Isaiah 42, eight, I am the Lord, that is my name. And aren't you glad that's his name? I'm glad that's his name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. And then number seven, he cannot alter his eternal plan. Declaring the, begin, the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, you take all seven of those things and you can say it this way, God cannot and will not contradict his character. That's our God. The doctrine of God's omnipotence is assumed throughout the Bible. Because in the beginning, God just spoke everything into existence. Pharaoh thought he was big stuff. And God showed Pharaoh really quick, I am God. Think about the plagues that were done in Egypt. Those plagues, a lot of them had to do with the gods of Egypt. And God was letting Pharaoh and all of Egypt know, I am the all-powerful God. Throughout the Bible, we see God's power. The book of Revelation talks about in Revelation 19, verse number 6, the Hallelujah Chorus comes from this verse. He composed his Hallelujah Chorus, handled it from this passage, and, as, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters and the voice of many mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. What John experienced was so much greater than even that, what he penned down. Job writes a similar incident in Job 26, verse 12 through 14. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Lo, these are parts of the way of his way. But how little a portion of her is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? We see once again. We, when we consider the attributes of who God is, we must conclude that he's indescribable and beyond comprehension to us. But that's our challenge. Our attempt, my attempt this morning, is to understand and to experience the thunder of his power. Jesus said in Mark 14, verse 62, we find the name power used of God when Jesus said, and Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Psalm 68, verse number 28, reflects a prayer for each of us. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. One of the ways we can understand the power of God is by considering one of his Old Testament names. 
El Shaddai, God Almighty. El is the word for God, and it means mighty and powerful. And then there are a lot of opinions, a lot of, um, a lot of writings about Shaddai. Its primary meaning is often translated as almighty, and it refers to a mighty mountain. The word Shaddai, the root word for Shad, also is connected to the nurturing relationship of a mom with her infant and signifies one who nourishes and one who satisfies. So when you put El Shaddai together, you get the mighty one to nourish and to satisfy. God is all-powerful. We go back to our text, and maybe you thought I forgot about our text here, but I didn't. We're still doing some some work to get to our text. Jeremiah 32. We see in verse number 17 again, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Let's put this chapter into context and what's going on in Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Probably not the prophet I would have wanted to been known as. Not because weeping signifies a lack of strength, because many a strong man can weep. But it meant, there's, I would be like to be known as the joyful prophet, right? That means life's probably going pretty good. To be the weeping prophet, that means his life was not the greatest. Several things that he went through. He was commissioned by God to preach a message that wasn't popular in his day. That Judah was about to be destroyed by the powerful country of Babylon. The people, they ignored his preaching. He was thrown into wells. He was thrown into dungeons. He was in prison for preaching the message that God gave him. You know, church, let's make sure we understand something. We look around us today, and I know we see some churches being fined, and that's a big deal, and that's, those things should not take place. But we don't know what true persecution is. Make sure you understand that. Could this stuff be leading to that point? If it does, so be it. We've got to stand up and preach the truth. If Jeremiah could preach the truth and go into a well and be in a dungeon and be in prison for preaching the truth, I think we can do it today. If the disciple could be beaten and persecuted for preaching Jesus, I think we can take a stand today. And we're going to get to heaven someday and be like, we're going to be walking down the streets and we'll stop. Peter will be there. Hey, Peter. Not that Peter. I'm praying you get there. That's, that's one of my prayers. No, I'm kidding. I think you're saved. I hope you're saved. I'm, I'm praying you're getting there. But um, the apostle Peter, hey, he'll be like, what do you do for the Lord? I went to church during a virus. The governor said no, and I went to church. Peter, what do you do for the Lord? Oh, I was crucified upside down on a cross. We can, we can stand. We can. And Christians, we need to. And we don't stand today to be in defiance of government. We stand to please our God. That's why. We have church for, because the Lord tells us to. We sing because how can we not sing? How can I not? After all the Lord's done for me, how can I not sing praises to him? We have to. We look at this passage, though, and as I mentioned, Jeremiah had quite a few things in his life. Beginning, so up to chapter number 30 of Jeremiah, he explains the coming judgment of God on the people. But from chapter 30 and on, Jeremiah looks beyond the impending judgment, how Babylon's going to come in. He talks about Judah's restoration and their redemption. God's people were going to Babylon for 70 years. There was no way around it. That was God's judgment. But God was going to bring them out and return them 70 years later. And when we begin in chapter number 32, what we see is Jeremiah is in prison again. And the reason he's in prison, you look, look at verse number 1, it says in chapter 32, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was in the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, 
And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the core of the prison, which was in the king's king of Judah's house. Now what's happening here is Babylon's on the doorstep. Nebuchadnezzar's right there at the gate. And Jeremiah said, just let him take us. It's going to happen. King's like, we're done listening to you. Like he did over and over again. Put him away so no one had to listen to him. In the midst of this, God comes to Jeremiah. And listen, there's chaos. Babylon's at the door. There's chaos. There's uncertainty because Jeremiah's in prison once again. Now, this is what God tells Jeremiah to do. God tells Jeremiah, I want you to buy some land from your cousins. Of all the things, what does that have to do with anything? You know, let's just put this in, let's just put this in our minds. God's told Jeremiah, they're about, Jerusalem's about ready to be destroyed. Seventy years are going to be out of there. The land's going to be desolate. Babylon's at the door. He's in prison. And God wants to buy a piece of land from his cousin. Why? Isn't that how faith works? Faith looks foolish. Hey, Noah, build a boat. Never rained before. You're not on water, but build a boat. Hey, Abraham, go on a trip. No Thomas guide. No GPS. Some of you in the room know what a Thomas guide is. Good. I used to love, how many of you, how many, anyone in the room not know what a Thomas guide is? Allison, Matthew, oh boy. See, I'm starting to age when I know what a Thomas guide is. I, it's, it was a map you would carry with you, and, you just, uh, and it was just a map, Thomas guide. You know, who's Thomas? I, lo- I loved maps as a kid. Maps were on my, I, could, I can get you almost anywhere just in my head from all the maps I've memorized as a kid. I don't use GPS hardly at all, because one thing, the other day we are going somewhere, and I didn't quite know where exactly I was getting, and Caroline's like, why don't you just hit the button and let the woman tell you where to go? I'm like, I don't like hearing that woman tell me where to go, so I just do it myself. I said, this is why I said, there's only one woman that tells me what to do, and you're sitting right next to me. So, and uh, that, isn't that kind of crazy? Buy land when the land's going to be destroyed. <laughs> Uh, God had Moses leave the treasures of Egypt to wander in the wilderness. That's what faith is. And the Bible tells us, look at verse number 16 of our text here, of Jeremiah chapter 32, look at verse 16. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase, Nebuchadnezzar, the son of Nerah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. After the signing was done, it was notarized. The land was Jeremiah's. What does he do? He praises God for this. Now let's keep on reading verse number 18. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work, for mine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Which hath set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel, and even among other men, and hast made thee a name as at this day, and hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders, with a strong hand, with a stretched out arm, and with great terror, and hast given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it, and they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all, that thou commandest them to do, therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts, they are come unto the city to take it. And the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass, and behold thou seest it. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord, O Lord God, 
buy thee the field for money and take witness? For the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, it's pretty interesting. Remember how I said last week that when problems are in our life, there are two things. The bigger your problems, the smaller your God is. The bigger your God is, the smaller your problems. Jeremiah gets this land, and he starts praising God. You are awesome. You are great. There's no one as powerful as you. And then he starts looking at all the problems around. And the problems start piling up. And then God's got to be like, hey, Jeremiah, what happened to 10 verses ago? I'm still just as powerful. And let's not be too hard on Jeremiah today, because that's exactly how we live our lives. We know it, but sometimes we just don't see it. We have a hard time with it. He goes to verse 20 there, he talks about all that the Lord did in Egypt, and how God showed his display of power all the way through. But not surprisingly, Jeremiah then begins to lose some altitude, and some doubt creeps in as he sees what Israel's done and what's going to happen to them. With great kindness, and this is how our God works, God urges Jeremiah to greater faith by asking the prophet the, the same question that he told God really earlier. Jeremiah, do you really believe what you said earlier? Is there anything too hard for me? Remember when God went to a senior citizen named Sarah? And uh, God told Abraham that she was going to have a baby. And Sarah laughed about it. What was the Lord's comment? Is there anything too hard for me? Hey, Christian, this morning, there is nothing too hard for God. After Jesus explained the cost of following him and how hard it would be for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, he made this statement in Luke chapter 18. He said, and he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The angel Gabriel, one of the last things he said to Mary as he told her that she was going to have a child, and this child would not be, just be a normal child, this would be the Son of God. For with God, Luke one thirty seven. for with God nothing shall be impossible. And you know, you look at that, you think about a virgin giving birth. Man, I think about what Joseph must have thought. Yeah, right. But with God, nothing is impossible. We serve of God that can do all. He's our God this morning. The song that my sang a couple weeks ago, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the power that caused the dead to wake, it lives in us. That power. You have power today. Not your power. What does the Bible say? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Not in your own might, in his might. Power. I want to give you some practical application this morning about the power of God. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you would say, and I want you, how many of you would say you believe that God's all-powerful? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Next question I ask you, I don't want you to raise your hand. How many of you actually live like God's all-powerful? My question this morning is this, the same question God had for Jeremiah. Hey, Christian, hey, church member, is there anything too hard for God? Say you believe it, but are you living it? Most of us easily admit that God's all-powerful. 
Our problem is, do we really believe it? Love this quote, A.W. Towser again. Anything God has ever done, He can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, He can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, He can do for you. We know that God's all-powerful. I want to give you four ways we can put God's power into practice in our lives. Number one is this. You can grow in godliness. Number one, you can grow in godliness. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Far too many Christians settle for a mediocre Christian life. Far too many of us do. We fool ourselves into thinking, I can't change. This is just me. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I am just how I am. I'm not going to change. Take me or leave me. I've got a bad temper. I can't help myself. But the truth is this morning, Christian, you can grow in godliness. Say, so how do you know that? Look what Paul said in Ephesians 1, verse 18 through 21. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Now, do you see that verse right there? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? The first time power is used right there is where we get the word dynamite from. The word working. Where it says right there, working of his mighty power, the word working means vigor. God is strong, he's vigorous. And then you see how it says mighty power right there? Has the idea of absolute authority. And so we keep on reading here, it says, according to the work of his mighty power, which he has wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You see, God's power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, is the same power that can work in your life today. That's the same power that can work in my life today. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? That's wonderful to know. That's a blessing. That's so encouraging. God's power is available to hearts and restore our hopes and grow us to be more like him. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Do you see that? Of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Man, too many people today are living in the spirit of fear. May I just add this? Too many Christians are living with a spirit of fear. May I remind you today, God did not give you that spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit of God, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in this world. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? He's given you the spirit of power, not of fear, of power, of love, and a sound mind. Don't forget that today. And the Bible also tells us in 2 Peter 1, verse number 3, According, look at this, I love this. According as his divine power hath given unto us some things. No, 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 no. A few things. No, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's given us everything we need. The spirit of God that lives inside I had someone ask me a few weeks ago, I want what so-and-so has in their life. You know what that so-and-so is? The Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God comes in that moment you trust Christ as your Savior. And He's given us all things we need to grow in Him. That's the good news. We need to access the power that's been given to us. And here's the good news. You don't have to be strong to get his power. In fact, the very opposite is true. 
we got to be weak. What did, Paul, what did the Lord tell Paul when Paul sought the Lord to take away his infirmity? In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, it said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now look at this here. For my strength is made perfect. My strength is complete. It's matured in our weakness. We don't like that. Wouldn't I like to be strong or have God's power in me when I'm strong? We'll both be strong together. That doesn't work that way. It's when we're weak. That's when we're strong in his power. Because when we're strong, say, God, I got this. And we've never got this. We never do. And when we think we do, we're deceiving ourselves. We don't got this. We need his help. And I love Paul's response. You think about Paul just wanted the Lord to take away his illness. You know, I've been around. I've been around people that are sick. My mom, for years, she still, she barely walks her health with her arthritis and all her different, oh, Pastor Soto, your wife. I know that you, you have a sick, you would love for it to be taken away. And I think Paul really wanted God to take this away. But look at, look at what Paul's response was. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's a far better Christian than I will ever be. But you want the power of God in your life? It comes when you're weak, not when you're strong. Say, Pastor, I'm weak today. You're a prime candidate for the power of God. Pastor, I'm good. Then why do you need the power of God? And that's why you won't have it. In our weakness, we see how much we need it. We see, number one, that you can grow in godliness. Number two, you can trust God in trying times. While we have everything we need to grow in godliness... Life is filled with troubles and trials. You can trust God in trying times. Here's some questions for you. How's your marriage doing today? Pastor, it's a mess. There's no hope. You can trust God in trying times. My child's walked away from God. I've given up. You can trust God in the trying times. Pastor, I lost my job. I don't know where money is going to come from. You can trust God in the trying times. God is trustworthy. You, you can trust him today. You say, my health is falling apart. You can trust God in the trying times. The book of Nahum 1.7 tells the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trusteth in him. A lot of times I write, a lot, I write down a lot of people's quotes. I don't make my own quotes. I'm going to give you a Brian quote. Now, if you find this somewhere that someone else said this before, you can give them credit. But as far as I know, I don't think anyone's ever said this. When I'm through, that's when God can get through. Sounds a simple quote. That's, that's why it's a Brian quote. When I feel like I'm done, when I feel like I'm at the end, that's when God can break through. You can trust him today. You can trust God in the trying times. With everything going on in a world of uncertainty, stock market fluctuating up and down, virus around and all the craziness in our world, protests, rioting, all these different things, you can still trust God today. Number three, and I messed up a little bit on number three, but that's, my, that's what happens when you finish writing a message at night. It says there you have what you need to live on mission. It should be to live the mission. The mission. You have what you need to live the mission. What's our mission? mentioned this last service, and I got some puzzling looks, and I'm like, man, I got to do a better job of making sure we understand our mission. You know, as a church, we have a mission. In fact, they're written on the wall right there. 
Number one, our mission, the mission of Victory Baptist Church is to exalt our Savior. Number two, to edify the saints. And number three, to evangelize the sinner. That's the mission of Victory Baptist Church. That's all scriptural and biblical. I, uh, I mentioned last service, I'm, uh, uh, I'm applying and looks like it's going to go through unless my background fails me to be a chaplain for the police department here in Chino. Just a little part-time little thing. Basically, I get to minister. I get to ride around with a few officers and just minister to them. And I think in our world today, they need that. And I'll also be available if there's people in our city that have a struggle that they're going through or someone die, something happens and they want to pastor, I'll be called. I think it'll be a way to reach our city a little bit more. It's going to take a few hours of my time each week, but I think it's a good thing, and I'm going to do it. But it's interesting. Before I can finish my application, I have to memorize the mission of the Chino PD. I have to know what our goals are and what the and I'm not going to even be I'm not going to be I'm not a police officer. I'm going to be a chaplain, but I still have to know what the mission is because we all have the goal, the same goal. Hey church, we have a mission. Our mission is to exalt Jesus Christ, to lift up God to love God with every fiber of our being, with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Our job is to edify the saints, to love our neighbor as ourself, and then to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's our mission. Our mission is to exalt the Savior, to edify the saints, and to evangelize the lost. That's our mission. When we don't, when we don't know what our mission is, we're not going to accomplish the mission. If we're not accomplishing the mission, we're really not a church. There are a lot, of, a lot of places that call themselves churches, but when they don't fulfill the mission that Christ gave them, I don't really consider them a church. We're to be witnesses. I've heard people often say, Pastor, I cannot witness. I can't. I can't share my faith. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, we got to remember, this is the book of Acts. Jesus is getting ready to ascend back into heaven. The, the, um, the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come to them. Different than you and me. The moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, and that's done the moment of salvation. This was a first, and that's why it was different there for the apostles. And then the day of Pentecost took place. But you have the power from the Holy Spirit to be a witness. We all do. Is my strong suit being a witness? No. My strong suit's being quiet and not talking. That's what I like to do. But you've been given the power to witness. You shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We are to be witnesses. And may I remind you that that doesn't stop because there's a pandemic in the world? We have to get the gospel out. Last night, I decided I watched, uh, um, well, we live Harvest and Great Glory. There's, what, 30 minutes from here? This weekend, normally, they have their, um, their crusade at Anaheim Stadium every year this weekend. And, you know, the goal is to get the gospel out. That's what their goal is. And I saw an interview of his just a few days ago, and he said, that was our plan. Had the stadium all rented, ready to go, and then March, everything changed. He's like, so I had two options. Do we cancel everything, or do we find a new way to get the gospel out? They found a new way. So they put out a movie that's only out this weekend, and Greg Laurie narrates it, and it gives the gospels an hour long, um, In Search of Hope, or in, uh, what's the name of it? I'll send, I'll, later on, but it's very interesting. He takes three stories. And he goes from a story of a high school that had racism issues between blacks and whites and shows how God worked in that school. He takes the story of uh, the guy who wrote the song, I Can Only Imagine. He's in the group Mercy Me. Um, Bart is his first name. His dad was a drunk, alcoholic, an abusive dad. And one day, his uh, the boy was there with his mom and dad. The mom packed up and left. 
Bart, just with his dad, his abusive dad. And his dad was super, as soon as he got out of high school, he left home, wanted nothing to do with his dad. He liked to sing. He started traveling with a Christian band or whatever. And over time, he came to his dad, and his dad was different. He didn't understand it. And he didn't want to forgive his dad because his dad hurt him bad. And he found out that his dad had gotten saved. Listening to the radio one day of him singing in church, he went to church and he was he got saved. But he was also diagnosed with cancer. And he spent the last three or four months of his dad's life right at his side, and they renewed their relationship that had been so far apart. And after his dad had passed away, the song I can only imagine, Bart wrote that in honor of his dad thinking of the fact that the moment his dad got to see Jesus face to face. And then the third story was about Jeremy Camp and his first wife that died of cancer and how God used that in his life, and he still believes in God. It was a great gospel presentation. And then there's a 10-minute gospel presentation for people to get saved. I love that a pandemic didn't stop them from figuring out how to get the gospel out. And I might not agree with everything that Greg Laurie and Harvest does, but I am so grateful that they would find a way to get the gospel out. And I would encourage you, you might not like all the music that they have on there. They have a few songs from a few different groups, and some of you might really love it either way. But if you know someone that's not saved or someone's struggling right now, I would send them a link to that. There's only two more days, and I'll send you, uh, you know, I, you get enough text from me, I'll send you one more text. I'll put a link to it there. But I think, I think it'd be great if you know someone's struggling right now, you send that to them. But I love the fact that they still witnessed and they found a way to get it done. And we got to do the same thing. We got to find a way to get it done and to do the things of God and to keep our witness. And it's so important. Have you been accessing that power in your life? Have you been doing your best in this area? That's what we need today. We see number one, as we talk about application, we're rounding the finish line. You can grow in godliness. You can trust God in trying times. You have what you need to live the mission. Number four, God's power can save you from your sin. I remember as a teenager, well, probably a little younger than that, probably 10, 11 years old, my older brother was in Bible college back in Indiana. Same college you did back there, same college I went to. And he... Patterson men, for some reason, they like fireworks and letting off your own fireworks. There's just something about it, I guess. I don't know. And uh, so in Indiana, not too far from the college, there was this big fireworks barn. You could buy fireworks. You had to sign this waiver. You'd have them out of the state in three days. It's kind of funny. I don't understand why. So my thought is you just let them off in two days in the state, so now you don't have to be out of the state in three. But anyways, but we would, anytime we'd go visit him, we'd fly out there, drive out and visit him and his wife when they were in college. My, um, my sister-in-law, her family lived in Upper Michigan. So we'd go up to Upper Michigan there, and you could just let off all the fireworks you want, and, get a, and it was okay. And um, I remember one of my brothers had gone to Mexico before and gotten some, it wasn't quite an M80, it was like a quarter stick of dynamite. It was just a little bit bigger. And, you know, and you, you should be, you know, make sure, you know, wherever you stand, all that stuff, you do what the Lord leads you to do. I don't let off illegal things. I don't. That was back in the day. My family did it. I just watched and I got to enjoy it. Someone else does it, I'll enjoy it. You know, like, you know, for me, it's all about how loud it can be, the bang. That's what I like. You know, like sometimes you have the fireworks that go off on 4th of July. Caroline likes all the different colors and you know, she always waits. Is there going to be a heart one? Because there's a heart one we have to kiss. I, li I like the ones at the end. They're just like a bright light that, boom, that's the one I like. That's just me. That's, I like the noise. And so my dad got this brilliant idea to take this quarter stick of dynamite, and they had a metal trash can. So you put it in the metal trash can. It's going to make a louder noise, right? And well, he lit it. He tripped and then picked it up and got it in the barrel and started running, and then it goes off and boom! It was enjoyable to see the no hear the noise. But I'll never forget him trying to get a, as far away from the bucket, from the trash can as he could. Say, so what does that have to do with anything? I want you to look at, well, Romans 1.16, put that there on the screen. 
for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Look at what it says here. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Think about this. The word power there is where we get our word dynamite from. The gospel is the dynamite of God. It will blow away your sin, your bad habits, and your addictions. It can knock the hard edge off of you. It can bring healing to your deep hurts and hangouts. It can bust through a hard heart. That's the power of the gospel. That's what it is. And as we end our, the sermon this morning, I wonder if there's someone here who does not know Christ as their Savior. Have you experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ? The power of God and the salvation is the gospel. Years ago, Jonathan Edwards, he preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And man, people, he, I heard he preached in a monotone voice, and he did not raise his voice. It was very, would not be something you would sit and really, me, I would really pay close attention to the way it sounds. But it said that people, as they would listen to him preach, that they felt like they were literally falling into hell. That was the power of conviction that took place under his preaching. And in that sermon, he said this, unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering. The reason why they are not fallen already and do not fall now is only that God's appointed time is not come. The entire world watched and waited with bating breath to see if that Thai soccer team and their coach were going to be rescued from deep inside a cave. How many of you remember that story about that soccer team? One British reporter made this statement before the team was rescued. These stories speak to a hope that out of gloom, a quiet, unassuming stranger will emerge, someone who actually knows what they are doing, someone who will rescue us from the darkness. And thankfully, all the boys and their coach were rescued. But a Christian writer offered some insight to that. And he said, on a far greater level, Another unassuming stranger emerged from the gloom of our world over 2,000 years ago who knew what he was doing in order to rescue us from a much greater spiritual darkness. And just like these boys, humanity is in a hopeless and helpless situation, unable to save ourselves. We need to totally rely on the direction and the ability of another these boys not only had no diving experience, some of them couldn't even swim. They had to totally put themselves in the hands of another if there was a chance of them getting out and being rescued. Once again, we cannot save ourselves. Once we understand our dire predicament, we can trust His power and His plan. We must trust Christ. And receive him as our savior. When those boys were found, when the boys were initially found, it was thought that they might be able to wait out the rainy season and walk out on their own. But while their own walking steps got them trapped, their own work was not going to get them out. Time was limited, waiting in a false hope. An urgent rescue plan had to be completed. And it was quite the rescue plan if you go back and read about all that happened. So may I just remind you this morning, the rescuer has come. He's here. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, every conversion is a display of God's omnipotence. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You can get saved today. That's some awesome power that God has. You think about this, before salvation, we are dead. How can a dead man get saved? Think about that one. How does a dead man get saved? A dead man can't do anything. The power of God. The Holy Spirit's conviction and his, that's what we need. Hey, Christian, maybe you're here, or maybe you're here today and you're not saved. Maybe today you need to get saved. 
Maybe you're a Christian here, and you've just been having a tough time. You need to remember the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that lives in you. And greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. Say, Pastor, but I can't do better. You can. Not you and yourself, but in the power of his might. Last week, we looked at the holiness of God. Today, we look at the power of God. And we're just beginning to scratch the surface. What an awesome God we serve.